Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that reading. So we'll now hand over to uh, Simon for the sermonette. Uh, during the sermon, please uh, take time to listen and think. And after the sermon, we'll have a short time of reflection. And then that's a good time to start putting your comments in the chat. And we'll have a, a panel discussion and we'll bring in uh, comments from the chat as well at that time. So I'll hand over to Simon now. Thanks, Nigel. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I am most looking forward to getting back to over the course of this coming year will be simply sitting down with people and sharing a meal with them. I love cooking. I love welcoming friends and family to our house. I love visiting other people in their homes. I love going out for a meal in a pub or a restaurant. Nothing too fancy, you understand, just some good food and some good company. We've tried a few Zoom meals with friends over the last year, eating our respective dinners in front of computer screens balanced on our dining room tables. And whilst the company has always been good and the food perfectly edible, it hasn't really been the same. And if I'm honest, I feel a bit the same about our monthly communion services, as we have shared bread and wine as a scattered community. 
it's been okay and it's helped keep our community together, but it isn't really the same. I mean, don't get me wrong, the liturgy we use, uh, scattered and gathered, it, it's, it's taken off around the world. We've had thousands of people view it, and I know many hundreds of churches have used it, all originating from us at Bloomsbury. What a wonderful thing to offer to the world at a time where gathering for communion has not been possible in the normal sense. But it's not quite the same, is it? Interestingly, I've often thought that the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper, as we find them recorded in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I, I think those words themselves take us beyond the world of the monthly liturgy of a sip of wine and a morsel of bread. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this little phrase, as often as, has always seemed to me to imply more than a monthly service of a sacrament. In the context of the situation in Corinth, it seems more likely to me that Paul meant by this, as often as you eat and drink together. And so we're back to shared meals, to community, to fellowship, to that mysterious something or someone that turns up as we sit around a table, feeding our bodies and our souls in equal measure. And this, of course, was the experience of Cleopas and the other traveller on the road to Emmaus. I like to think the other traveller might have been Cleopas's other half. They sat at the meal table with their new friend and discovered in that moment of shared food that the resurrected Christ was made known in their midst. Which makes me wonder what my expectations are, what, what our expectations are about how and where we might encounter the risen Christ. Many of us have been conditioned to expect to meet Jesus in certain buildings or through the enactment of certain rituals, such as going to church or saying our prayers or reading our Bibles or baptism or Eucharist or hands together and eyes closed. If you had a similar early Christian journey to me, it might be that you grew up being told that if you didn't have your daily quiet time, you wouldn't encounter Jesus in the course of your day. And then the whole thing takes on an element of failure and guilt if you don't do the things that you've been told you should do at the beginning of the day. What if the truth of it is what the travellers on the road to Emmaus discovered? That Jesus is encountered not just in Jerusalem or in the temple or in the upper room, not just in set places, but along the way to somewhere else, in the face of a stranger just met or around a meal table over shared bread and wine. What if Jesus is primarily present to us, not in the holy places or the sanctified moments, but in the mystery of the everyday? And this is where we get to the title for my sermon this morning, The Mystery of the Everyday. What if the fact that we haven't been to our church building for a year, most of us, or that our communion services have been conducted over Zoom, 
or that our choir has had to sing their separate songs to be stitched together afterwards? What if all of these pandemic-related disappointments have actually been whispering to us all along that Christ is with us, present, even if often unnoticed, in our lonely homes, in our support bubbles, in our socially distanced walks, in our times of solitude, and in our confined families. What if Christ is primarily always with us in the midst of dashed hopes and the ordinariness of life? There is a form of prayer called the examen, which originates in the 16th century with St Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Jesuit order. And it's something he encouraged people to do at the end of each day. It's kind of like the opposite of the morning quiet time. And it's an invitation to find, to discern the movement or the presence of God in all the people and events of that day. One Jesuit teacher, Father Dennis, calls the prayer of examine rummaging for God. And he likens it to kind of going through a drawer of stuff, feeling around, looking for something that you're sure must be there. And he says this is a great description of what it's like to pray, pray the daily examine. We look back on the day, rummaging through the stuff of that day's life and finding God in it. Sometimes here at Bloomsbury we use a version of the examine, asking people to reflect on where for them that day has God been especially present and where, correspondingly, has it felt like God has been absent. Sometimes reflecting on these experiences can help us to highlight areas of sin or neglect that we might need to address, but it can also take us into a deeper and more personal experience of God in the mystery of the everyday. If you haven't tried this form of praying, I commend it to you. Interestingly, many people beyond the Christian church use a form of daily examine, with journaling techniques becoming ever more popular, often encouraging people to reflect on their day, to write down and capture those moments of positivity, of grace and of hope, as a way of combating the feelings of negativity that can so often overwhelm us. Which brings me to the question of why it might be that we, like the couple on the road to Emmaus, can sometimes fail to recognise Jesus even when he is staring us in the face. Let's go back and revisit the story from Luke's Gospel. It was the afternoon of that first Easter Sunday and these two disciples had left Jerusalem for Emmaus about a 12 kilometre walk and they were making their way along the road, discussing the horrific and confusing events of the last few days, from the crucifixion to the mystery of the women's report of the empty tomb. And Jesus came to them on the road, and Luke tells us what happens next. Jesus said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. That's Luke 24, verse 17. They were so lost in their sadness that they could not see the source of joy that was before them. They were telling stories of loss, of deficit, of defeat, and were missing the story of life, gain and hope 
that was entering their lives. And just as the prayer of examine invites us to review our days, to find Jesus in the mystery of the everyday, I wonder if we too need to review our language, to ask ourselves what it is that we are discussing. What stories are we spinning into existence in our midst? Are they stories of life, gain and hope? Or are they stories of loss, deficit and defeat? Are we missing the resurrecting power and presence of Jesus in our midst because we are too busy retelling to ourselves the stories of Good Friday? Do we miss the significance of the reports of the empty tomb because we have come so focused on the emptiness itself rather than what it signifies? Sam Wells, the vicar of St Martin in the Fields just down the road from us at Bloomsbury, uses the language of asset and deficit to describe congregational life. He suggests that Christianity is fundamentally about cultivating the assets of grace and joy, and only secondarily about eradicating the deficits of sin and death. The challenge here for us, I think, is that too often we get stuck at the cross. We lose ourselves in stories or theories of how Jesus saves us from sin and rescues us from death, when instead we should be telling the world about the gifts of faith, hope and love that are waiting to infuse every area of our lives, bringing meaning to the mundane and joy to the everyday. I think at a practical congregational level, there is a direct challenge to us here as to how we will frame the stories of our community. Do we tell stories of decline, deficit and defeat? Or do we speak into being the stories of a hopeful, loving, joyful future that echo from the empty tomb into the realities of our lives? Over the next few months, we have a task ahead of us, friends, as we will be living through change at all levels of our lives, from the personal to the congregational to the societal. There will be challenge and difficulty. There will be loss and there will be grieving. There will be stress and there will be anxiety. What will worship and witness look like in the future? We don't know yet. What next shape will our community and congregation take? We don't know yet. How will we address the financial pressures that are upon us as a church? We don't know yet. But we do know that we need to be careful not to fall into the pattern of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who were so stuck in their stories of deficit that they risked missing the good news of the empty tomb that was standing before them. So let us, above all, tell the story of the gospel. Let us faithfully live into being the good news of resurrection, of new life, of new hope, of joy, of peace and of love. Let us face the challenges and uncertainties of the future with faith, looking always to Jesus and finding Jesus in the face of the other. And as we do so day by day, meal by meal, conversation by conversation, 
we will discover that Christ is truly with us in the mystery of the everyday. Thanks be to God. Right, if I can ask a panellist to start their videos and, and um, we'll get ready to chat. Thank you, Simon, for those reflections on, on that passage. I've always been very moved by the, the story of the road to Emmaus and, and what happened there. And I think it really does have some meaning for us. We are just... Uh, we're just after Easter and we, we've contemplated the, the sorrows of Good Friday and the sorrows of the crucifixion and of Jesus laid in a tomb. And indeed, we, we've celebrated Easter with the joy of the resurrection. But it's also an uncertain time. And I think for us, it's an uncertain time. We, we're, we're, we've been in a difficult period of lockdown and we're facing an uncertain future. So I wonder if any of the, the panelists would like to help lead our reflections on this. Speak up. Uh, one of the things that I'm always struck by uh, whenever uh, the scripture says, and he took the bread and blessed it, um, is that it is a moment in which um, God is being encountered in the everyday. You know, the, the Hebrew blessing that he probably prayed is, uh, which is, uh, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe. It's talking about this cosmic understanding of a God who is so powerful that all things have been created through her work, through her hands, who brings forth bread from the earth. That a God who does something as miraculous as, as all of creation cares enough to actually bring about bread in the everyday. Um, and so... And what's interesting there is that they are walking with the, the, the Cleopas and, um, and their partner are walking along this path. They're walking with God this whole time, but they don't recognize it until they come to the most mundane aspect of their conversation. It's not in the highfalutin theology that, uh, that Jesus reveals himself. It's not in the, in the discussion of the scripture and the theology um, that Jesus makes clear who he is. It's in that moment where he prays in that way and thanks God for something so simple. That mundanity is, is where God encounters them. Um, and so I, I was thinking back on uh, the way that Simon approached, approached the text and say, you know, as often as you eat of this. Um, and I think that, you know, as we talk about discussions and the church constantly has these debates, you know, that have divided denominations on transubstantiation, consubstantiation, all that. Um, I believe in transubstantiation. I believe that Jesus literally becomes the members of the community that are sitting around a table eating bread together. That those people are literally transformed into the body of Christ. Um, in as literal a sense as we can possibly talk about. <laughs> the, the elements are not what's important there, right? The elements happen to be the modicum by which we encounter the divine. And 
sharing that together is the means by which we encounter Christ with us in that moment. Um, and so I, that's, that's what I'm coming away with and reacting to. Walter has thoughts as well, but he's mostly expressing them with his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what were you thinking about as you are? I'm sorry, we'll come back to Molly. <laughs> Thank you, that's helpful. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure we've ever had the Hebrew blessing sung for us in the service, so I'm very grateful for that. That's, that's really helpful. And I think as, it always means a lot to me that line in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And, and yes, we, we, we have a God who's interested in the small daily things of our lives. I, I think that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, I wonder if I can call upon Ian to share some of his thoughts. Yeah, I, I really appreciated um, Simon's, um, you know, bringing to us this, this I, think, I think what is an essential and needful view, really, um, of the world we live in, you know, uh, of ourselves, that this, as Monica said, that's, you know, beautifully, I think, you know, it, it is in these encounters, and I've always had a, a, a deep sense of joy when I've listened to, you know, that say Jesus is cooking them the fish on the on the beach after his resurrection or whatever, you know, I, I just have felt, yeah, there's something there that is so fundamental and wonderful that we often miss. And um, I uh, I've been really helped a lot in this sort of by um, people like Richard Raw, who who for me have very much taught a sort of an embodied spirituality you know that we have an incarnational religion you know and, and it surprises me sometimes that you know we kind of say that we have that but in fact the way we live and discern the world is is completely non-incarnational you know in a sense and i think richard all does say some wonderful stuff and i think one of the things that really grabbed me once was in saying that you know god comes disguised to us in our lives and um i think that actually unpicks quite a lot of what simon's saying here um, and, and um, yeah, so, so I, I, think, I think it's wonderful. And I'm really grateful that, that we have that brought to us today. Um, yeah, so thank you, yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm just gonna pick up a couple of comments in the chat before I pass on Susan. Um, so there's a lot of love for the examiner. And again, I found this very helpful. And, and also the expression we've used in our services before, the way of thinking about where we have encountered God in our daily lives, and also where, where we haven't and where we've been distant from God. And sometimes looking back on, on those difficult periods can be very helpful and can often help us see that even when we felt we were distant from God. When we look back on it, sometimes we see that maybe he wasn't so distant from us at that time. But um, uh, that, that's good. And, and the idea of journaling, I think uh, Lance is, is saying he's, he likes um, doing that. And I think that is a really helpful practice. Uh, Dermot says he's always lamented the fact that the greatest sermon ever given where Jesus expounds the scriptures regarding himself is not recorded from us. So I share that frustration with you. It would be wonderful to hear those words, but he rightly says, I love the fact that Jesus stays when he's invited to do so. 
and there's, there's a great hope for us in that. So that's that's a really helpful thought. Um, uh, Susan, what, do you have any thoughts about about all this? Um, not really. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I agree with everything the people have said, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I can see how that applies to my own life. But I don't really have anything to add. So you know, sorry. <laughs> Ask someone else. That's fine. That's fine. I, I really I want to think a bit more, I have to say, not necessarily now, but about what Micah said about how we're transformed into the body of Christ ourselves, because traditionally the, the conversation around communion and transubstantiation and consubstantiation and all that is, is getting het up about what happens or doesn't happen to the bread. Uh, and actually, you know, surely that we're more important than the bread. So I, I, I really like the idea that we're, we're transformed into the body of Christ. And, and that surely changes the way we think about ourselves as a church and as a community. Um, that's worth chewing over a bit more, I think. Now, some, oh, I'm just seeing a very long, let me just see what this is. Um, it doesn't say who it's from, but someone has put a, 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 a very long comment saying they, they feel sorry for those who want the road to Emmaus and being in grief. And grief's a process of a journey. Um, it's, it's important to allow yourself to grieve as well, as well as being willing to examine and to see the resurrection that is right in front of us. Jesus was challenging, but also kind and shared a meal with them. He was with them, but did not force them out of their grief immediately. That's very helpful, isn't it? He didn't just appear with a flashbang and say, here I am. He, he walked with them and listened to them. I like that. That's really helpful. I mean, I could just, uh, what occurs to me is that I think, um, you know, we're encouraged to, uh, encounter God wherever we are I think and uh, and I think that it's a really great point that I think has been made about grief I think um, and, and it's not a question of either or it's a, it's a question of both and that you know that is the experience that we we live through you know and 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 I think the wonderful thing again is that you know we see this in uh, every aspect of creation you know there is there is um, a dying and then there is a resurrection. And I think that is fundamental to the way life is. And I, so I, I wouldn't, you know, it, it's a mis and I, I love the word that Simon used for his sermon, you know, for, for the title is the mystery of the everyday. And I think for me, that's a really helpful framing because I think we have to sort of let go and, and in a sense, embrace that. Um, that mystery, it, because we, we can't know it, you know, it's, um, it's something that we can only really live. And so I, I really get this business about the grief thing. I mean, that's where I am at the moment in many ways, but I think I've, I've also found that staying with the grief and staying in it, 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 it's, it does actually bring you to a different place of, of, of actually somehow joy is, 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 is absolutely fundamentally interconnected with, with it. So I, um, it's a both and for me. Um, but I would also say that, yeah, we, we can easily fall into negativity. And, and I think it's helpful for us also for our self-care point of view to, to do those things which are life enhancing. Anyway. I've, I've... Micah. Yeah. Oh, uh, so that Micah has been trying to encourage me to say something. Um, <laughs> the, I think the thing that 
always surprises me and it sort of comes up in all sorts of different parables and stories about Jesus and all through the Bible is that Jesus had sent a, a messenger already to say that he wasn't dead and they remained in their grief because they refused to believe that messenger and I think the thing that always strikes me is that Jesus never even when someone wants to remain in the grief he never leaves them there he always finds the way that will will get them out of it for unique to them it's never it's never like a you know I know this will work for everyone it's always unique and it's a unique relationship and um yeah he he doesn't just leave people even when they have decided that they're not going to believe whatever it is that he's trying to say he will put it another way until they finally understand yeah. and i i think that um you know regardless of what you may believe about hell um i think that uh for me the reason that i believe in hell and the reason that i believe uh that christ went to hell on dark saturday um is because uh gregory of nazianzus um writes this uh writes this diatribe in which he describes the way that christ remains in hell for as long as we need him um for as long as we need to experience our grief for as long as we need to be stuck in our suffering in our lament in our uh, you know in all the that sort of pain uh, first off we have uh, three books of the Bible that are devoted to lament, right? We have Lamentations, we have a third of the Psalms, we have Ecclesiastes. Um, these books are dedicated to experiencing suffering and giving us words to speak our suffering, um, not to mention, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, so many of the prophets. Um, but when Jesus goes into hell and remains there until we need him, until we need him to escape from that place, he's not tearing us away from our grief. He's allowing us to live into our grief, experiences our grief with us, and then when we are ready to experience the love of God, takes us out of that place. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, there's a lot to think about today. Some really helpful thoughts and comfort for us. Um, I think we'll, we'll end things there, uh, much as I'm tempted to carry on for another hour or two with this, but we, we better move on let's spend a moment quietening ourselves we can sometimes do this the way we breathe and just slow things down uh, to help us to be present loving god we thank you for simon's teaching today that speaks to us of of how you are to be found in the mystery of our everyday lives. Loving God, as Richard Rohr has written, you come to each of us disguised as our life. We pray that you would help us to awaken to this reality and to each, um, and for each of us to incarnate you as we follow Jesus into becoming fully human. Loving God, we ask that you would meet each of us today, wherever we find ourselves. Perhaps we're in a dark place, feeling disconnected and lost. 
we might call that hell. As Micah has suggested that you're there for us there. Um, perhaps we're experiencing the joy and light of resurrection life. We thank you that you have revealed this very cycle of death and resurrection in the way the universe has been made. Loving God, please give us the grace to comprehend this and help us to trust that you are with us in whatever place we find ourselves in. Loving God, we thank you for that resurrection life. We see wakening in the earth as spring arrives. Help us to see hope all around us. Babies are born in the animal kingdom. We see trees coming into leaf, the earth bursting forth with with life, with energy. Possibilities open up. We see people out in the sunshine, the smiles on faces of old people as they're able to get out and sit in the sun. We thank you. We pray that you would excite us with a vision for us as a church as we come out of the pandemic. Help us to reach out and play our part in incarnating you in this city, in each of our lives. And as a community, and as we encounter you incarnated in the other, open our eyes, loving God, to see you in the lives of others. We pray for our nation, loving God, for the death of the Duke of Edinburgh. We thank you for his life of service and loyalty. And pray for the Queen as she and her family mourn his passing. We thank you for all who have served the nation so selflessly during the pandemic, whether supermarkets or delivery workers, nurses, doctors, paramedics, care workers. May we learn to value them as a nation as much as we do those in positions of power and celebrity. And we remember the grief that so many are experiencing um, as they share with the royal family the, the loss of those who are beloved to them. We pray for the government that it would pursue policies of justice and peace on a national and international level. We thank you for the progress made with the rollout of the vaccination programme and pray for wisdom for all those in positions of power regarding the future loosening of lockdown restrictions. And what we pray for our own country, we pray for, for all countries. And we know that um, the inequalities of the world system are reflected absolutely in the way that uh, the pandemic has been encountered and um, the ability of many countries to uh, bring out the vaccination program. We ask for, for, for justice and equality in that, Lord. 
Loving God, we pray for the people of Northern Ireland at this time of rising tension and unrest. We pray for the unionist and nationalist leaders in the province, that they may pursue the path of peace rather than sectarian strife. We pray for peace and justice in the places in the world where there is war and oppression. We pray for Myanmar following the military coup, that the pressure from the international community would bring about peaceful change and the restoration of democracy. We pray for the same in the Yemen, in the Sahel, in so many places where wars have continued often with complicity of our nation in the supply of weapons and the support of unjust regimes. We pray for peace and justice in Israel-Palestine, for the new Israeli government. We ask that somehow justice and peace may come, that um, the Palestine would be recognised as a, the rights of the Palestinians would be central to the concerns of the world. We pray for climate justice for our planet, that as individuals, communities, nations, and as a world, we would awaken to the truth that all life is sacred, that all things are Christ-soaked, that if we continue, and that if we continue on our current path, we will burn down our home. We pray for international cooperation to work towards decarbonizing economies, particularly the most damaging ones, mainly in the West. We thank you for the Biden administration in the US and its commitment to rejoin the Paris Accord and its introduction of significant measures to decarbonize the economy. We pray for the UK government as it prepares for the COP26 climate conference in November, that we as a nation would significantly up our game in decarbonizing and be a positive influence globally. Loving God, we pray for our church community for all those in leadership here, we thank you for their dedication and service. We thank you for the program that the church has been able to run throughout lockdown by our digital technologies. But we're aware that sometimes those digital technologies lock people out. And we pray for wisdom going forward to know how to deal with that. We pray for the one-off service on the 18th of April in the building. We pray for the bi-weekly provoking questions group and for the next meeting studying Ben Lindsay's book, We Need to Talk About Race on the 21st of April. We pray for our continued involvement as a church in London citizens. Um, and, as, and we look for, for their involvement, our involvement in the local elections in May. We pray for other groups that we support as a church, such as London Prisoners Mission for our BMS World Mission Link missionaries, Dan and Anne Dupree in Albania. We pray for Fatima and Amina, the two new Londoners who joined us last year from Syria. We pray for their language learning and integration, particularly during lockdown. And finally, we pray for our congregation, especially those in need at the moment. We remember Chris, particularly in hospital today. May he be aware of the love 
that we have for him through the way in which we, re, uh, we reach out to him. We pray for Jackie as she continues to grieve Bill's death. And for Dave and Sandy, Sally and Jenny, and Michael's wider circle of friends. For Peter H's mother, who is still very frail, we pray for her and for Peter. For Brian, Faith and Richard as they live with uncertainties around health and, and making longer term plans for the future. We pray for all those who are especially isolated during this time of pandemic, particularly those with no internet access. And we pray for those who are living with health conditions that make them more afraid than many of contracting COVID-19. We pray for those who are part of our Bloomsbury community who work in healthcare and associated professions. And we pray for the homeless and vulnerable elderly who would normally be present at Bloomsbury during the week for food and social time. Loving and gentle God, we bring all of these things to you, knowing how much you care and value everyone and everything. And we ask these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.